Hello and welcome to The Selling Sessions, a podcast by United Capital about how to sell your business by the people who could buy it. This podcast will bring together advice, opinion and stories from the very people who buy businesses and will cover a wide range of topics that you as a potential seller should be thinking about. The podcast will be a no-nonsense approach to selling businesses, will tell you um, how to avoid making some of the mistakes that can often happen in this process and how to speed up the process of selling your business and getting it into the hands of the people that will take it to the next level. In this week's episode of The Selling Sessions, our own Paul McGilvery speaks to Louise Shields and Derek Stroud, both partners at Brodie's LLP. Louise is the head of Brodie's contentious construction team and Derek, a partner in the corporate group with over 25 years experience in corporate transactions. Both very, very experienced lawyers and very experienced in mergers and acquisitions and um, give a, a great insight this week into preparing your business for a sale. They cover things like getting skeletons out on, on the table as soon as possible so it doesn't cause any problems later on, as well as giving yourself time to prepare for a sale, getting your, your ducks in line, um, as well as the value of long-term framework style contracts um, on the, the end selling value of your business. It's a great conversation between the three guys today and I hope you enjoy. I'm a corporate partner with um, oh, 25 uh, years experience um, and it's mainly been in mergers and acquisitions um, and disposals. So uh, this is a subject kind of dear to my heart. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I'm here today to uh, share my experience of buying and selling uh, multiple companies and the kind of issues that you uh, uh, want to identify and uh, deal with early on. Absolutely. And and you, Louise? Over to me. Um, I am the head of construction um, at Brodie's and I um, I deal with, uh, well, support for um, Derek and his team when they're doing diligence work for um, in purchases and sales of companies. Um, so I get involved in identifying risks um, and I deal with um, construction claims on a regular basis, yep. which is obviously <laughs> an important part of your diligence exercise because these are the sort of things as a company, United Capital will be interested in hearing about because that will inform whether or not um, the company is of interest. So, uh, yeah, I, I will chip in with the construction-related issues um, alongside um, Derek's uh, specialist m input. Great. No, that sounds like we've got quite a broad range of uh, expertise there, but in particular with, with looking at the construction industry, uh, obviously that's the space that United Capital are in. And, uh, and of course, um, it's, it's always good for uh, people looking to sell their business to have that sort of construction focus uh, when they're in, uh, they're in the industry. Um, so, so what I'd ask is generally, you know, what, what are the key, uh, key points that you would say to anyone looking to, to sell their business? And um, and how 
um, and what mechanisms of which they would they would do to to try and um, make sure that their their, their business is it's in a sellable state. Yeah, no, that, that that's a good question, and I think yeah, let's start at the beginning. And you know, one of the key factors um, that I would would make is that you want to be organized uh, and early preparation is very much the key here. So uh, bear in mind that selling a business is going to be time consuming. So uh, for that reason alone, you need a strong management team in place because whilst you're dealing with the sale, um, you need to carry on with the day job and make sure the business keeps running. And also a purchaser is going to take comfort from the fact that there's a good management team in there because that's going to be one of the things that they're very much interested in that's so true. get your strong management team in place um, and start early and the other thing i would encourage you to do early um, and of course you'd say i would say this but is appoint advisors appoint trusted advisors because the sooner you get them involved and um, the better it is get the thing started on the right track um, and uh, uh, that will stand you in good stead and save you time and potentially cost at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think some of the common themes that are coming out from these podcasts are, uh, you know, particularly on the advisory side, is is, is on the relationships. The, the, there's there's an intangible there that you know that uh, is worth its weight in gold. You know, if you have you know commercially aware uh, advisor who um, who's there to to help you through the process. Um, Louise, obviously on the construction side, you know, how, how do you feel about, you know, building the, that rapport, that relationships and setting expectations from the start? I, I think it's pretty key. Um, and you want someone that's going to tell you the good and the bad news. Um, yeah. You don't want someone that's just going to tell you what you want to hear um, because that never pans out well in the long run. So, you, you know, if there are issues, if there are claims, if there are potential difficulties that you know coming to you as a company might not be as attractive um it's better to get those out on the table early and so you would expect your advisor to be driving that and making sure that you're being 100% transparent from the outset on what your company's overall position is yeah i, th I think um you know when when you're looking at it from the buyer's perspective you know what what we try and do is, is build those relationships with the, the seller as well and of course with the advisory teams on both sides so that you know you can you can really look for that win-win and uh, one of the things that have came out as well is, is is quite a lot about you know how um we should we should go into it with um a, a, you know openness and transparency insofar as that you know no skeletons will come out the due diligence at the last minute and and things like that because when these things do, they can upset the relationships, which we think is 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 quite a key uh, a key element there. So it's it's really interesting that you've 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 both um, picked up on that as well. Moving on to you know structuring a deal, you know how would you would you advise a seller to to start to structure their deal, and uh, what sort of um, things would you you get to put in place for them? Yeah, I mean, I I guess the the, the most common structure is you know you've got a you've got a company a limited liability company um and you know you're then got the decision well are you selling the shares in the company or are you just going to sell certain assets and business out of the company so there's 
that's the kind of key difference, selling the shares or selling the assets. Obviously, if you sell the shares, you're selling the whole lot, assets and liabilities. Um, so that's quite often the most attractive route. Um, also as well, all the existing contracts will be in the name of that company. So from a purchaser's perspective, acquiring the shares in the company is quite good because everything continues on. Um, so yeah. the other thing to, to bear in mind is that when you're structuring the deal, um, the key thing is is to get some tax advice early on because there will be tax implications on selling your business. So if you sell the assets and the cash goes into the company, you've then got to extract the cash from the company. There's tax there. If you sell your shares, then there's potentially capital gains tax on this on the share sale. But there are, you know, reliefs available um, what used to be called entrepreneurs relief now um, uh, business asset disposal relief so get some tax advice early on and the other kind of um, potential wrinkle on the deal structure is just you know who are all the shareholders so a yeah. purchaser and Paul I'm sure you confirm this will, will want to buy a hundred percent of the company That's right. so <laughs> um, uh, so if there are you know other shareholders, you know, other family members, or there've been some investors along the way. If there are other people holding shares, then, you know, you need to um, sit down with them and, uh, uh, you know, have a common plan in terms of selling the whole lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there are occasions that you, you maybe want a, a percentage sale, um, but, you know, they are, they are quite rare. Um, but having said that, though, I think your key point there about the tax implications is, is another theme that's that's been coming out. Um, you know, particularly with the the capital gains tax, I think um, the the budget will will probably take away some of the benefits of the current situation at the moment. But um, the, the, the next budget coming up, but certainly, is tax implications are are one of the the, the key issues. I would say. That um, that most sellers should should get some advice on, um, but you, you touched on contracts as well, and I'd like to hear your take, Louise, and how a seller would get the, the the contracts set up so that you know they're 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 trying to essentially get the best out of their their contracts. Certainly, from a buyer's perspective, what we're looking at is you know long term things like public uh, sector uh, contracts um, and um, and if they're and if a seller for example is on perhaps a way to renew a contract you know what sort of things would you would you advise them to get in place well there, there's certain things that will be attractive to a buyer and certain things that will not be attractive to a buyer um different types of work you, you've already highlighted the the public sector you know it's good stable work maybe not quite so good margins as you would get in the private sector um but there's more stability more guarantee that you will actually get paid um and if you're engaged in a number of frameworks at least there's a you know, future work there which you potentially have access to which i think is an attractive proposition um but looking at the, the contracts themselves, there are a number of things that, you know, if we were doing a diligence, we would be reporting as part of Derek's report to you on including things like, um, you know, is it is this standard of care they're delivering under the contract? Is it reasonable skill and care, which is obviously insurable? Or is it fitness for purpose? And um, it's very rare you would get insurance to respond to fitness for purpose type obligations, which are obviously much more onerous. Are there any caps on liability limitations, which would be an attractive proposition for a buyer because it shows that any exposure in, under contracts is, is limited to those caps? 
Um, you know, in terms of um, the ability, you know, if the if the company was being transferred, do, do the existing contracts allow for assignation? How many times are you allowed to assign? What warranties are in place with your supply chain? Who are your supply chain? And what terms have yeah. you engaged them on? And again, caps on liability, etc. All these sorts of things are quite important. Um, another thing is insurance. It's a quite a topical thing at the moment. Um, trying to get insurance <laughs> for certain companies at the moment is just very, very difficult, particularly for, um, we're certainly seeing it, m and quite difficult and also in the, um, anything to do with fire safety, cladding, um, the, the, whereas before we were set, if we were on for an employer, we were settling for, we were looking for each and every cover so that you've got good, strong protection there, um, that we're, we're finding we're even struggling to get aggregate cover for some of these more risky types of businesses. So yeah. all of that is the sort of thing that would be of interest I think to you Paul when you're looking at you know what contracts are in place for um, for you to get the benefit of them as part of a purchase. Yeah and so so certainly so from the seller's perspective then you know they they're looking to to, to basically put everything on the table yeah. you know and, and and let the buyer go through it and if they've if they've um, had a look at things already you know in fact, it's perhaps something that we could discuss as well is, you know, would you recommend that they, they do their own due diligence first then before they then give it to the buyer? Yes. I mean, yeah, this comes back to, you know, the point that we made at the start, which is, you know, preparation is key here. Yeah. And and part of that preparation is um, that you sh you need to um, get ready for the fact that the buyer will want to carry out what's known as due diligence um before they, they 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 agree to buy your company so um and that due diligence is basically just you know looking through everything in relation to the business they're buying so that they can check exactly what it is that they're getting um what's and all and part of that can test the valuation that they've put up against you know the, the company so yeah. so the due diligence can't be underestimated and and it's quite quite a lot of work i mean it's um uh you know the buyer is going to to look at you know the contracts property the employment contracts the suppliers customers and um, your health and safety your you know your accounting information a whole host of you know there's a raft of things so don't underestimate how much is going to be involved in that due diligence process but from a seller's perspective, you want to get ahead of the game and you want to be ready for it. And the best way in which you can do that is actually to collate all the information yourselves before the, the buyer gets it um, and look at it and go through some of it where it's relevant with your advisors to find out, um, you know, what uh, things might be attractive to a, a buyer and what things might be less attractive to a buyer and if there are problems or there are things missing and gaps then you've got the time to deal with them and sort them out and present it in a way that is um, you know if it is a problem then you can explain why it's not insurmountable to the, the purchaser yeah. but you know the best way of doing that is getting ahead of the game and doing that yourself first of all as it's what's known as i guess as seller's due diligence mm -hmm. rather than yeah. buyer's due diligence and uh, yeah i can't stress the importance of that enough yeah 
Yep. I think in, in that as well, you would be including any details of claims. So if and you know, no, I don't think there's any construction company out there that can say they've not got any claims or potential claims and you know hidden somewhere in their in their cupboards. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think um, it. You can. It doesn't mean that every claim is is going to mean a price chip from from the purchaser. You know, it, it, as long as you can explain what the claim is, what and and have an opinion on what the risk associated with that claim is and how you're managing it, um, then you know, it, it's something that's as as Derek said, not unsurmountable. It's something that can be managed. And I think as well, if you can show the purchaser as a seller, um, that you manage these sorts of risks and how you go about doing it, then having that proper management um, process in place is, is surely seen to be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from a buyer's perspective as well, you know, if they have like so their, their ISOs in place, um, you know, for for um, managing their um, quality management, you know, all the way through to health and safety, HR um, yeah. and, uh, and even the environmental sites becoming such, you know, um, quite a, a, a high, highly topical area as well. You know, it's it, these are these are reassurances that they've yeah. got these from uh, an independent body as well, yeah. uh, who've came in and you know audited and uh, see that their quality management system or or the integrated management systems working effectively. So these are these are certainly um, things that we would look at as a buyer. You know, yeah. even on the face of it, uh, do they have their ISOs? Do they have these things in place? Because it does show that they've got. Um, the, the the mechanisms involved that, that drive continual improvement and I think that you know we're, we're not um, you know when we're looking at businesses we're not we're not expecting to for everything to be absolutely perfect as well and I think that uh, some of the things that have came out through some of the podcasts so far is you know that uh, about managing expectations is that uh, there's certain there's some people that are waiting for this perfect moment to sell their business and that perfect moment is very unlikely to, to come around so mm -hmm. they're better to actually you know go through this process like that you know look at look at the do their own due diligence first to say you know there's certain things there that I'm maybe not happy with but at the end of the day you know what strategies have we got what risks are you know we've identified these risks mm -hmm. and uh, and we, we, this is the strategies we're using to mitigate those risks mm -hmm. and certainly you know from a buyer's perspective it's quite refreshing when you hear you know oh well you know we're, we're aware of this and this is what we've done to 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 mitigate that risk and uh, i'm quite happy to to listen to uh, some some you know have some dialogue on it as mm -hmm. to how how you think we should manage that and uh, and having that those sort of conversations are quite refreshing because the, it shows the mindset that they that they're already in relation to you know how they're selling their business but they're also they're already into uh, looking at how to mitigate risk and and, and the strategy for that as well mm -hmm. i suppose that yeah and, and you're building yeah and you're building up trust as well you know it's important yeah. during this process between buyer and seller that you know it's it's not a contentious process you're both trying to achieve the same aim which is to transfer the ownership of the company um and you know it will it will be smoothed uh that process will be smoothed if there's trust on both sides and uh, 
part of the way of a seller earning that trust, I guess, is to um, be um, uh, open in relation to uh, some of the, the the things that aren't so great from their perspective. And and the other benefit for a seller doing this, of course, is that you know ultimately the seller is going to have to give the purchaser some warranties in relation to the business. Yeah. Um, and having gone through this um, diligence process itself from its own side, then um, this information that's going passed across to the buyer is starting to form the disclosures against those warranties, which you know is effectively protecting you as a seller um, from a warranty claim by um, uh, having explained to the buyer what it is that you're disclosing fully. That's right, Kev, and and that's and it aids the the, the conversations on it, and certainly um, you know keep, I think it then leads into you know how. You know, you want to have these conversations and keep it confidential. So this is where, you know, having an NDA in place is is, is absolutely vital uh, for both sides um, to have those open and free discussions. Um, what, obviously, that's usually at the start of the process, you'd have an NDA in place. But have you got any thoughts or, or, or comments on an NDA? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, there's, I see there's kind of two sides to it. There's, there's a trade secret side. So as a seller, you're, you know, revealing to the purchaser the inner workings of your business. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that you've got trade secrets, then you want to protect those through the, through the NDA. Um, but there's also just the general keeping the whole, um, process confidential because it might yeah. not actually result in a successful sale and you know the last thing you want to do is spook your suppliers your customers your employees unsettle them uh, by letting people know that the business is up for sale so generally you would just want to try and um, you know keep that confidential um, uh, as much as possible and obviously a you know a non-disclosure agreement sort of puts that in writing between purchaser and seller yeah, I, I, from from a, a buyer's perspective as well, you know, I've I've seen it, I've seen it for both sides. I've seen NDAs that are that are you know, um, you know, a, a paragraph long, <laughs> and I've seen NDAs that are that are thirty, forty pages long, and and you just think to yourself, guys, you know, come on, um, <laughs> let's 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 have a look at it. And what I would say is, NDA stage should always be about you know getting to know each other as well. You know, it's it's all about that relationship. And I think that if you're coming in with a, a huge uh, NDA, you know, into the, the 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 tens of pages, you know, if if not hundreds of pages, you just then think to yourself, you know, it, it's not going to go well because you'll be marred in bureaucracy forever. And again, that's I think that it goes back to what we we're talking about earlier in relation to uh, trusted advisors. You know, if you've got a commercially aware advisor, you know that that, that knows the that knows the space well, they'll they'll be commercially aware about things like what are the buyer going to, what's the buyer going to look at here. So if you're getting an NDA from a seller or vice versa from the buyer, then you just want to cover the key boilerplate points and ensure that uh, it's fit for the purpose intended, but no no more so than that, and no less so than that. Yeah. You don't want to spend more time negotiating the NDA than you do the sale contract. And I've seen it so many times, unfortunately, you know, when when the, you get the NDA through and it's so so many pages and you just think to yourself, this is this negotiation is not going to go well, you know. Um, but then, you know, you, you then move swiftly on, don't you, into the uh, into the heads of terms stage when, you know, then hopefully you've got a willing seller and a willing buyer. Um, have you got any comments on the, on the heads of term stage? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, it, it, 
just to put it in context, I guess, you know, the heads of terms is an important document, but mm -hmm. largely it's not going to be legally binding other than perhaps a confidentiality clause and and maybe a, a, a lockout clause, which we can come on to discuss later. But um, it, 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 in the main, it's not legally binding. So, but it is important because it formalizes a process and to the extent that buyer and seller agree things in those heads of terms, then it's harder for them to try and go back on it um, at a later stage, even though it's not it's not binding. Um, but I would say, you know, get some advice on it because even though it's early stage and it's not um, it's not uh, legally binding in the main, um, it's still an important document and you need to think it through uh, carefully. Yeah. What about you, Louise, in the construction industry? Are you? Uh, do you think that from a heads of terms stage when perhaps people have been gearing up to get ready for the due diligence stage, you know, what, what sort of questions do they ask in particular in the construction industry? In terms of due diligence, um, you know, yeah, getting, prepared. Getting, gear, getting prepared so that they do need to be looking at all of their contracts and looking at all their subcontracts. They need to be going through those, identifying risks, looking at um, what, you know, what work is left in the contracts to be carried out, what um, new work there is potentially to win, are there existing relationships, ongoing relationships that you can have future opportunities? Because I, I think as a as a, a buyer, um, that's something that would be of interest to you, um, looking at the types of work they're doing. There are some types of work that are more risky than others. Uh, you know, I, I don't. If you're trying to put your, put your business up for sale, you're not going to take on a contract that's um, got a huge amount of risk in it because that's certainly not going to be a, an attraction <laughs> to any buyer. Um, so th it's all the usual things. Um, looking at the contracts around assignation, IP rights, warranties, um, you know, any onerous risks, the, the, the reasonable skill and care, fitness for purpose type obligations, performance yeah. specifications that I, I sort of mentioned earlier. Yeah, but you, you want to get you know the main heads in there, which obviously yeah, one being price, yeah, <laughs> um, when, when when it's going to be paid, how it's structured, um, and you know whether or not the selling shareholder is going to carry on in the business for a period of time to help um, uh, the purchaser with any transition. Yeah, absolutely right, and I think I think as well when you when when we're looking at businesses, we are looking at um, the, the the current team to stay on um, in general terms, and uh, and with that because we we value relationships, we really value the uh, and, and that's that makes us a bit different from a, a private equity firm, for example, who may uh, want to bring in their own team and just you know a page one rewrite uh, from the leadership perspective. But you know we we value relationships, we value the the intangible um, goodwill that comes with those relationships and you know people continuing on in the business uh, for some for, for some time after uh, the 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 you know they, they've sold so uh, that, those sort of things I, I think are are you know key when you're, you're you're having discussions you know you get them out you know in the open right from the start so when you get to the heads of term stage it's no surprise when you know you've added in perhaps that you'd want them to stay on for a particular period of time etc is that sorry. like a sorry? I suppose a question from me that m might be a question that a seller might have. Is that and you know is are, what's the the norm that you sort of look for, Paul? Or would you as a company is it a year? Is it a couple of years? Or are you looking for something a bit longer than that? Or are you? It does it depend on the particular circumstances? Yeah, it depends on the the particular circumstances and uh, and, and the businesses that we look at. And certainly from a seller's perspective, what what we like to do is is engage in in dialogue and you know and 
you know, open up the, that, the the channels there and, you know, really talk about, you know, what 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 are their expectations? What are they looking to do? Because we want it to be a win-win, essentially, you know, so that essentially you've got a, a really happy seller who's who's clear on the role that they're going to be doing and uh, and what, where pretty lie within the bigger picture for from the the group perspective so no it's uh, it's definitely what we're trying to achieve is is that win-win and um, and of course as well i think that, that takes us on to uh, sort of one of the final points would be um you know business valuations we can talk about that um when in our expectation, what, what we will do at the heads of term stages, we will we will provide what we think is a fair price to the seller, um, and uh, and we, we generally don't really want to budge from that at all, um, unless something glaring comes up from the due diligence process. But uh, we we put in a fair price for that. But our view is not like some of the other uh, buyers out there who will perhaps give a higher. Um, a higher amount or a higher multiple at the heads of term stage and then during the due diligence they'll then whittle down and whittle down that multiple and then you know then the sellers you know got deal fatigue towards the end and not very happy and you know we, we we're just not into that we don't we don't want to get into these sort of things when in relation to 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 uh, sellers expectations and buyers expectations so we've put in a fair valuation right from the start um, what what do you guys um, think um, about you know um, business valuations and and who should they trust? Yeah, the sellers. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I guess yeah. I mean, it's part of their their good preparation, isn't it, to appoint their trusted advisors and you know to discuss these things with um, with their own accountants or any you know um, if they have a corporate finance advisor um, uh, if, if there's that level of sophistication um, but yeah they, they they want to speak to um, an accountant um, uh, probably in the first instance who will be able to tell them what kind of um, valuation would be appropriate for their business I mean there are also various ways of valuing a business um, they can explain that um, to the sellers and they can talk them through the numbers on their own company and give them a, 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 a ballpark figure for what that valuation is. So I think, yeah, the key thing is for the sellers to, um, to you know, have a discussion with their own accountants to get, get a figure in, in their own mind. Um, so then that way they can, um, you know, benchmark it against what, uh, what the purchaser is proposing. I suppose as well, if they're getting an advisor to help them, it, it brings a bit of realism as well to the to the business valuation. Because I I know um you know if people have built up a business that's been in the family for years, you know they they will have their own views on what it, what it ought to be worth, and um and and you would hope that valuation would would materialise for them. But um you know bringing in a third party who can look at it objectively will sometimes help you know. Be, bring a bit of realism to the numbers so that there's no surprises when 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 they engage in their discussions with with your business Paul yeah yeah I, th I think that one of the the, the key aspects is, is is you know setting expectations and and really you know I've, I've had many stories whereby you know the perhaps if a broker or something's came and said oh they'll, they'll get x amount of multiple on that or you know and and then when it comes to it and they say oh why, why am I not achieving that sort of multiple and then you'd say well it's it's perhaps because buyers are not willing to to pay that amount. So you know it's and and it goes back to I think Henderson Logie said it. Um, the, the accountants there and they said that uh, it's only, a business is only worth what someone will pay for it. And uh, and I, I guess that that, that that's a, a, something that rings true. 
But what's your view on that? And that's 100 percent right you can't force <laughs> someone to pay more than what they want to pay yeah um, no. no i mean i mean also yeah i mean ultimately what yeah what what drives the m a market overall is willing buyers and willing sellers and um one of the things that might cause the m a market to slow up is when there's a disparity between what sellers think a business is worth and what buyers think a business is worth and so if you've got you know large um discrepancies on on the valuation from buy side and sell side then you're just not going to have a deal <laughs> yeah. um it's it's a, it's as simple as that so uh, so from that perspective i guess uh yeah um henderson logie are, are spot on in terms of it's only worth what somebody's prepared to pay for it yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's it is true, and uh, you know, obviously, we look at the the each business and and, and how they how they conduct themselves, and uh, but I think it goes back to what we kind of talked about right at the start, which was you know relationships and and having your trusted advisors to be you know uh, commercially aware and to help uh, help you through that process without necessarily um, interrupting or. Or being problematic with those relationships with the buyer and seller, so it stays willing buyer, willing seller throughout the process. Um, and I think that that's uh, that's all about managing the expectations from the start. And a good commercially aware uh, advisor or advisors will will do that and help you through that process. And um, just just on the on the final point, then, of the, so any learning lessons you've had from any um, any particular cases or, or that that you would say that our, that our listeners would want to to um, take note of. Don't sign up to warranties that you can't actually um, comply with. <laughs> we, we, we have a claim just now against, so there was a, a, a seller buyer situation signed up to a number of warranties and it, it, it turns out that they could not um, comply with a number of the warranties and there is an active litigation as a consequence of it. Um, so I think be clear on whether you can actually deliver on the warranties that you're making. Yeah. So again, it's expectations, isn't expectations. it? Expectations. It all comes back to expectations. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there are, there are lessons all the way along, and there are different ways of looking at things and approaching things. You can always find a a solution somehow or other if there's trust and there's a willingness to buy and a willingness to sell, and um, probably shouldn't underestimate that. And you know. Don't let, there will always be, you know, in my experience, however straightforward a deal looks, there will always be something that comes out of the woodwork during the process that that either one side or both sides weren't expecting. Um, so always be ready for that. But, um, you know, it's um, it can always be dealt with uh, one way or another um, if everyone keeps a calm head and uh, works their way through it. That's it. Get the skeletons out the cupboard early so that That's you build that rapport and that trust. I think because it all goes down to that. You know, Derek saying we can you can deal with everything. I think you can so long as you haven't destroyed the trust because you're trying to hide things. So um, get all of your skeletons out the cupboard at an early stage so that everyone knows the starting point. Yeah, the lay of the land before they then go to the next stage. Oh, absolutely right. And just just in closing, then, is there any final thoughts, Derek? 
Um, no, I think, I think it's been a good session. I hope everyone um, has taken something from it. Uh, there's quite a lot in there. And I think, you know, as lawyers, we could talk to death on any one of these particular points <laughs> yeah. that's been risen, uh, raised today. Um, but the idea was of this was to give a kind of overview. So um, hopefully, um, hopefully we've achieved that. And if anybody has any questions uh, after listening to this, um, then, you know, please feel free to, to pick up with, with any of us. Brilliant. And, and Louise, any final thoughts? Just oh. to echo, just to echo what De Derek said. Um, you know, it's I, I think it's a really interesting market just now. Um, and there's a lot of interesting opportunities out there. And I'm certainly watching United Capital and how they've been operating over the last wee while. I think it'll be interesting to see how the sort of selling process grows. And you've got ambitious targets. So um, yeah, we'll we'll be really interested to to watch that develop and. And if there are any sellers out there that need some some advice, um, um, we'd be delighted to assist them. Absolutely. And uh, obviously, if there's there's anything that, that sorry, if any of our listeners want to to contact uh, you guys, um, just Brody Solicitors at are you in Glasgow or Edinburgh, Dundee. We're pretty flexible. We work throughout the Scotland. UK, Paul. So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we um, our details are on are on the website, um, www.brodies.com, um, and uh, you, yeah, you'll find Derek and I's uh, email and and mobile numbers there. And I'm happy to speak to you. Special thanks again to Louise and Derek joining us from Brodie's LLP. Much appreciated um, and some great, very practical advice from um, from both of them today. And definitely um, some tips that all of our listeners could take forward when selling their business. As always, thanks to our own Paul McGilvery for curating the conversation today. Much appreciated. Special thanks goes out to the Selling Sessions podcast sponsors, Affinity Business Centre, which is a modern, flexible, collaborative workspace right in the heart of industrial Dundee in Scotland. It's designed for sustainability. They look after their tenants, the city and the world. If you need an office that's great for commuting, close to the city centre and the motorway, they provide modern quality serviced office suites for at least from single person up to about 10 person offices. They're fantastic offices and we have our studio within Affinity Business Centre. They always take care of us. So if you ever need any offices, give them a, a look on affinitybusinesscentre.com. <laughs>